This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindariwal. And welcome to The Loop. Cold and flu season is in full swing, and it's become a huge challenge for kids, families, and our healthcare system. In my own life, I know I've seen whole families wiped out for like a week or two from kids bringing home a bad cough that gets a lot worse, and then the cycle continues. Min, I know you're kind of in the brunt of it, too. I am, but I am the last man standing (laughs) at the Darwall house. How can you you not brag about that? Yeah, 75% of us down. So, uh, yeah, Mrs. D and the kids both have had it one Two, two are kind of coming out of it, and yeah. one is in the midst of it, and I'm, I'm just trying to avoid it. But uh, it has been nasty, yeah. And it's kind of been hard to, to wrap our heads around it because for two over two years, nobody got sick. Exactly. Which yeah. Is, which is wild. I had no cold and flu medicine for a while because I didn't really need it, and then yeah. this year I've gone through a couple boxes. Yeah, I bought Vicks Vapo Rub in the last week, yeah. and uh, and a couple of bottles of Nyquil. So, uh, yeah, there is definitely something going around, and for the third year in a row now. Hospitals are feeling the pressure. This time in the pediatric unit, the stallery here in Edmonton is dealing with a crush of patients. According to doctors, the inpatient beds are at capacity and the ER is backed up, as you would understand. Dr. Shazma Mithani is an ER doc in Edmonton, also a host of CBC Edmonton's Everyday ER series. She works at the stallery and the Royal Alec. Dr. Mithani, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me today. So we know things are bad. We've heard all the news. What are you seeing in the ER? So what I'm seeing uh, on both the adult and the pediatric side are very, very high volumes. So for the pediatric patients in particular, we're seeing extremely high volumes of patients coming in with respiratory illnesses. We're seeing, as a result of that, very high wait times, often approaching the double digits with very high numbers of patients in the waiting room. And then after the patients do come into the ER and are assessed, thankfully, most of them are going home, but we are definitely seeing a higher rate of admission and a higher number of patients requiring admission. So as you mentioned at the beginning, we are also seeing that crunch on the inpatient side where we're seeing uh, the ward beds kind of at or over capacity, which becomes a big challenge as well. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about symptoms, because I know there's the general, like, quote unquote, respiratory illness. I know we're seeing flu, there's COVID, RSV. You were tweeting about um, the croup. Well, you know, what are we actually seeing in kids? So most of the symptoms or the most common symptoms are things like fever, sore throat, a runny or congested nose, and a cough. Um, some kids can, with influenza in particular, have some gastrointestinal symptoms as well. So they could have nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. And then more generalized symptoms like muscle aches, fatigue, decreased appetite. So we're seeing a pretty wide array of symptoms with these viruses. Mm-hmm. How severe? I mean, you talked about admission. What are you seeing in terms of severity? So the two most common reasons for admission for these viruses are respiratory and then dehydration on the gastrointestinal side. The respiratory um, admission rate is definitely higher than the than the GI symptoms. So we're seeing patients who are having quite a bit of difficulty breathing and then requiring oxygen, uh, oxygen treatment. And so that alone, as soon as a patient needs oxygen, it means they have to be admitted to hospital. Um, other reasons would be if they continue to have just a lot of difficulty breathing and high breathing rates, that would be a reason to admit them to hospital as well. And then with the the gastrointestinal symptoms, if there are patients who are quite dehydrated from the amount of vomiting and diarrhea that they're having, then of course they need to come in to be monitored. Mm -hmm. Uh, This question feels really simple, but why do you think it's so bad this year? 
It's a great question, and it's uh, it's pretty multifactorial. So I think there are a few reasons that we have uh, such a big crush of viral illness this season. So we have now two to three cohorts of kids who have never been exposed to these viruses, so RSV, influenza. Um, and so typically in a season, we only have one cohort of kids that is kind of experiencing this virus for the first time. And nice. the first time you get a virus, it is more severe. Yeah. That's that that's for anyone and any and any virus typically, especially respiratory viruses. But now we're seeing two to three times the rate of these uh, naive patients essentially that haven't had exposure to them. And so the first time they're getting it is is more severe. And so we're seeing higher numbers because of that. There is some question about whether the strain of influenza in particular is actually a bit more severe this season, looking at what happened in Australia, because they are kind of half a year ahead of us, right? And so we mirror what we expect off of what they're seeing there. They saw an extremely severe influenza season. And in particular, half of their admissions to hospital were in patients under the age of 16. And so that's certainly worrisome from the pediatric side. And we're starting to see evidence of that here in the Northern Hemisphere in Canada in particular too. Mm -hmm. Masking is coming up as a conversation again. Would that make a difference to what we're seeing right now, do you think? I believe it would. So we know that masking is effective not only for COVID, but for many respiratory viruses. So most respiratory viruses are transmitted either by droplets or aerosols. And that encompasses those three viruses that we just talked about. So RSV, influenza, and COVID are transmitted by one of those two methods. And masking does help mitigate those um, aerosols and droplets from being spread around further than just around your face. And so I do believe that masking would help mitigate the spread of these viruses. Yeah. All of this is happening as at the same time we're hearing about shortages, things like children's acetaminophen, also antibiotics like amoxicillin. What do you recommend for folks who find themselves unable to get what they need right now? So that's a very common question. It's really tricky for parents. Being a parent myself, I understand how heartbreaking it is and concerning it is to see your child suffer with a fever. I think the first thing to remember is that a fever itself is not dangerous for children to have. I know there's always a worry about whether it's going to affect their brains. Um, there's all, often a question about febrile seizures, so having a seizure when you do have a fever. What we do know about febrile seizures is that it's not the height of the fever that causes it or how long they have a fever that causes febrile seizures. It's actually how rapid the fever rises. And typically, most times when patients do have febrile seizures, the fever isn't even detectable by the time it rises up so quickly and then they have a seizure. So I do want to reassure parents that fevers in and of themselves are not dangerous. Mm -hmm. That being said, it's when, when kids have fevers, they tend to be very uncomfortable. They feel achy. They feel unwell. They feel uh, lower energy. And so we, we want to treat our kids when they feel unwell and yucky. So... If you can't find the children's formulation of uh, things like acetaminophen or Tylenol or ibuprofen, which is also Motrin or Advil, at the pharmacy, I recommend a few things. So can, you can ask the pharmacist if they have any behind the counter because there are lots of pharmacists that are trying to kind of ration or prolong the supply that we do have by keeping those medications behind the counter. So it's important to have that discussion with your pharmacist. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you can consider, can consider is that a lot of pharmacies around the city are compounding Advil and Tylenol, uh, the children's versions for parents, and they can do it in a fairly short turnaround time. And most pharmacists are able to do that. So that's a good question to ask your pharmacist as well. And then the other thing to consider having a chat with your pharmacist about is whether you can use the, ad, uh, the adult or chewable tablets to... Um, 
uh, to kind of break with a pill cutter to use the appropriate dose for your child based on what their weight is in kilograms. And so even having that discussion with your pharmacist, they can help kind of figure out what the appropriate dosing would be, um, you know, what fraction you should cut the pill in and that sort of thing. Right. I mean, in the last couple of minutes of this conversation, we've covered seizures. We've covered doing math to try and cut pills. This is scary stuff for parents. What are the conversations you're having with parents look like right now? So exactly. These are all very worrisome and scary things. Nobody ever wants to see their child kid or uh, their child um, suffer or uh, uncomfortable or in pain, right? And so a lot of the patients and parents that I'm seeing in hospital are really just worried you know, we've had two years uh, of this pandemic where thankfully uh, the protections for COVID that we had in place also really suppressed the other viruses that we were seeing. And so kids weren't getting as sick. And so we have this generation of, of kids and then a generation of parents who are are seeing these viruses, seeing these symptoms for the first time ever. And so they're understandably worried about this. And so they're often wondering kind of the questions that I had addressed about the fever, whether it's worrisome or whether it can be dangerous. Um, You know, lots of uh, questions about how long the symptoms are lasting, right? And so typically right now we're seeing sometimes multiple viruses back to back to back. And so it can seem like your child has been sick forever, when in fact it, it most likely is that they've had multiple viral infections back to back. And so I'm definitely getting a lot of questions about that too. Yeah. You you know, this is the third year in a row that feels like we've had a healthcare crisis and like capitalize, underline, bold crisis. Do you see an end in sight? I see things getting worse before they get better. Mm-hmm. So we are in a situation right now where with the respiratory virus season in particular, we're seeing it earlier than we expected. And we're seeing it more severe than we expected, not only in terms of the symptoms, but in terms of the number of cases that we're seeing already in November. And so my concern is, is with this high volume of patients, we are going to have a period of sustained pressure on the healthcare system and in emergency departments and kind of on the acute care side with hospital admissions as well, both on the adult and the pediatric side. And these things take time to settle down. And unfortunately, we're in a situation where not only do we have high volumes of patients and a higher severity of, of illness, we also have um, an already stressed healthcare system, right? Coming, coming off of this pandemic where we have um, our acute care system uh, kind of at or over capacity even before this respiratory virus season started. Uh, we are dealing with staffing shortages, not only in Edmonton, but across the province and across the country. And so our ability to flex up right now is extremely limited, which is why, um, you know, my colleagues and I are trying to get out there as much as possible to help educate the public, to help um, try to uh, mitigate the spread of viruses, try to help uh, keep our system functioning as long as possible. Yeah. You're about to head in for another shift this afternoon. You know, we're talking on a, a just a casual Wednesday morning. How does it feel as a doc to be navigating another situation like this? It's heartbreaking. It's frustrating. You know, at the end of, end of the day, as, as a physician, and I am sure I'm speaking for most of my healthcare worker colleagues, the only thing we want to do is the best for our patients. We want to make sure that we can take care of them with all of the resources uh, possible. We want to make sure that they're comfortable, that they're, you know, their pain is treated, that their fevers are treated, that they're getting all the information and, and care that they need and that they deserve. And right now, we are sometimes limited in the resources that we have to be able to do that to the best of our ability. And as this season goes on, 
um, as people get more sick, as we start seeing a spike of COVID, because we haven't even seen that yet. I worry that with the healthcare system being as strained as it is already, if it gets more strained, that we are going to be um, in a situation where, where we won't be able to provide the patient care that we want to, and that we're going to start having poor outcomes. As all these viruses spread among children, it was really only a matter of time before schools started to feel the pressure. So enter provincial affairs reporter Janet French. She's been watching this unfold and she joins us to walk us through the concerns and some of the politics surrounding the issue in Alberta. Hi, Janet. Hello. So what's the situation right now in, in schools? Well, I'm about to hit you with a lot of numbers, <laughs> so uh, buckle <laughs> up that I'll try to make it digestible. Okay. So AHS, Alberta Health Services, has stopped releasing outbreak numbers in schools. And so we're now relying on school boards and individual schools to tell us what is going on in their schools mm. as far as absenteeism. And it does vary quite a bit by school, but generally we're seeing extremely high absenteeism rates for this time of year. Uh, we just had November break. A lot of school boards just had November break. So maybe that will provide a little bit of a relief. But uh, there were no classes earlier this week in some places. I'm mentally preparing for these numbers. Hit me. What have we got? Okay. All right. So Edmonton Public Schools, as of last Thursday, because again, November break, uh, there was 13.7% of children uh, were absent due to illness, and which is nearly more than 14,500 kids. As of last Thursday Mm. in Edmonton Catholic schools, uh, 15% were absent or about 7,000 kids. And Edmonton Public Schools has this actually really nifty online school illness absence tracker, which I've been relying on very heavily. It would be great if other school boards had it. Convenient tool for this time. Then I can make some neat graphs, right? Which I did. (laughs) So so the tool allows you to look up, for your parent, you can look up your children's school and you can see what proportion of that, of your... uh, the student body is absence due to illness or if a parent actually reported COVID, what proportion is absent due to COVID. Mm. So we counted last Thursday and three quarters of the schools had more than 10% of kids absent. Now, why do we care about the 10%? It matters because that's the threshold above which Alberta Health Services, AHS, Mm. investigates whether there's a respiratory or gastrointestinal outbreak at that school. So we heard from the superintendent earlier this week that outbreaks have been confirmed in 64 of the division's 213 schools. I think we're housing <laughs> two of those uh, statistics at, at the Darwall House for sure. Oof, sorry I mean, to hear that. Yeah, they have been sick. And um, I mean, that's a lot of numbers. You know, what do we what do we make of all of that? During a normal cold and flu season, uh, is it normal for 10 to 20 percent of the school to be out sick? That's the question right. that I was trying to answer last mm-hmm. week. So I talked to some public health professionals who told me, no, these absentee rates are not typical mm-hmm. compared to pre-pandemic years. I've heard a lot of conversations about these absenteeism rates, but I'm I'm kind of curious what's happening. What are people actually saying? Yeah, and as is very predictable, this is a very divisive <laughs> issue. Right. Some people are quite opposed to taking any kinds of measures that could um, prevent the spread of infection among children because they're concerned about um, just being told what to do and and also a real urgency or urge to return to what you might think of as normal pre-pandemic norms, um, really opposed to some of the steps that the government took when in the throes of the pandemic. Um, and it's not just COVID this time. It's 
it's a bunch of stuff, as you probably heard from from Dr. Mathani. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's a raft of infections that's hitting children, especially hard. You know, during COVID, it was the elderly we were trying to protect, and now it's really kids. So some parents, teachers, doctors, infectious disease experts, school board trustees, they do want more protections in school. They say what the government is doing right now is not enough. Mm. But Premier Daniel Smith campaigned on no more masks on children in schools and no more health measures. So there's a lot of confusion right now. And several reporters asked the premier earlier this week what additional steps schools could take to prevent the spread of diseases right now. And she was clear that mask mandates are not in the cards. Anyone who feels comfortable to wear a mask should wear a mask. That should be a personal choice. And anyone who wants to make that choice, I support them. But we are not going to be mandating masks. We've heard loud and clear from parents that they want a normal school environment for their kids. And we're going to let kids be kids. We, um, I, I think the most important thing that we're seeing right now is that we have a number of viruses that are circulating at once. We've got RSV, we've got COVID, and we've got influenza. And we also have some serious issues that we have to deal with that, quite frankly, I think are the ones that parents want me to focus on. I'm very concerned about the shortage of children's Tylenol. So when anyone pressed Premier Smith on what preventative measures schools could take, she would talk about finding new sources of children's pain and fever medication and scaling up hospital services. But we also see that in children's hospitals in Ontario are overrun with sick children. Um, Some people are suggesting they're a little bit ahead of the curve in a bad way uh, than us. And public health experts have told me that this scenario could lead to children that are sick for any reason. So need cancer treatment, need surgery, um, trauma or illness, not having access to intensive care units if they get overrun with sick children. So, I mean, I'm sure uh, a lot of these principals are talking to each other to gauge how, how their schools are doing and, and uh, what their numbers are like. What what are schools doing to respond to this? School boards are under a lot of pressure from the public. Um, they're, of course. <laughs> but, uh, not just on Twitter, I think. You know, some, several people are writing to their trustees if they know what a school trustee is and does. Um, I'm probably talking to their principals mm-hmm. about... Uh, pushing them to bring back some of these protections. But it's confusing. Um, First, the rules about who is allowed to mandate masks have changed multiple times during the pandemic. And there was this King's Bench court ruling last month that found that Education Minister Adriana LaGrange didn't have the proper legal authority to prevent school boards from mandating masks. But Edmonton Public School Board Chair Trisha Estabrook says she's confused because the Premier is talking about taking proper legal steps to prevent school mask mandates, just like the government did to city councils earlier this year. So the public school board actually held a special meeting on Tuesday morning, and there were several hours of debate about what they can and should do. And what can they do? Like, what can they even do? I think they don't even necessarily have that clarity yet. Mm -hmm. I can tell you what they did do, which was they passed a motion to write a letter calling for three things. Uh, They're asking the provincial government for a meeting with the new chief medical officer of health who was just appointed earlier this week, Dr. Mark Joffe. They're requesting that that chief medical officer of health, I'm going to call it CMOH, because it's a bit of a mouthful, Mm -hmm. um, that he mandates masks when schools do hit that outbreak status when there's more than 10% and AHS has declared an outbreak. And they're asking the government, like, what are your, what's the threshold here? What's the trigger for you to actually take additional action other than wash your hands? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what absenteeism rate would you have to see? What 
level of infection would you have to see for a school to result in, say, uh, hey, here's we're going to bring back the mandatory isolation period. You have to stay home for 10 days when sick or mm. masking. Then on Wednesday, uh, the education minister had an unrelated press conference in Calgary and reporters repeatedly asked her whether school boards have the authority to mandate masks. It took about six questions for her to address the issue head on. So here's Eva Ferguson of the Calgary Herald trying to get that information from Minister LaGrange. I'm going to ask it again. Would you allow school boards to mandate masking as they see fit on their own without approval from the province? Um, school boards were not allowed to mask students in the past without a chief medical officer of health order. Um, so again, I'm not going to anticipate or speculate on what the chief medical officer of health, the new chief medical officer of health will actually say. You know, it's a spicy press conference when a reporter says, I'm going to ask again. <laughs> uh, it doesn't really seem entirely clear, does it? Yeah, it isn't. And um, it, it seems like she's saying that the CMOH would have to order it, but she's not being explicit about that. Yeah. Um, and we may have to wait to see how the province responds to the school board's written request. But I've recently spoken with folks at several school boards, rural and urban, and there is so little appetite for them to be making any public health decisions after everything they've been through. They're trained to run schools, not prevent infections among children or protect pediatric ICUs, and they want to see clearer direction and leadership from the government. Until then, a lot of hand washing and uh, hoping for the best, I guess. Thanks so much for this, Janet. You're welcome. The Loop is a podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team this week is Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, and Olivia O. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common, and I'm Claire Bonnieman. And I'm Min Dariwal, and as always, we'd like to thank you for listening and tuning in this week. The Loop is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis communities. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can send us an email by emailing theloop at cbc.ca. Leave us a rating or a review. Wherever you download the show, you can get in touch with uh, Claire or myself uh, via Twitter. If it's still alive. If it's still alive. <laughs> it is. I've, I'm hearing it's still there. Not as many bots anymore. So, of no. course, I'm at Min Dariwal. doesn't get any easier than that. And I'm at Nami Nob. And you can find us on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy it. And I'm Min Dariwal. And, of course, as always, we'd love to. <laughs> we'd love to. We'd love to give you a hug. I don't know where I was going with that. That's okay. Take it again. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.